Welcome back, everybody, to this week's episode of the Eddie Branches Podcast. I'm Jacob. And I'm Tanner. And we are so excited to dive into Luke chapter 9 with you today. But before we do that, Tanner, how was your week? My week's been great. I'm super excited to be able to do the podcast again in your presence. <laughs> uh, last week, you know, we took a little... Uh, little detour but we're back to it back to Luke chapter 9 it's going to be a, a fun ride through my week's been good um been prepping for preaching this week and we've got a fall festival tomorrow at church so that's going to be good how was your week um it's been good it's been a very relaxing week um for those of you that don't know I work part-time at Chick-fil-A as I'm doing Bible college, and right now the Chick-fil-A that I work at is closed for remodeling. That's right. I had so forgotten about that. I didn't I didn't work at Chick-fil-A any this week, so I had a lot more downtime than I normally do, which I spent some of it just being lazy, <laughs> honestly, and some of it I, I spent a lot more time than I normally will uh, listening to sermons and lessons and things too as well, so I, I enjoyed getting to do that, but uh, yeah, it's it's been a good week. Good, good. Glad to hear it. We want to remind you of our marker calendar section, which is dwindling down a little bit uh, compared to the last few weeks. But if you're listening to this episode shortly after it comes out that day or the day after, the uh, Grissom Refuel event will be going on as you're listening to it. Uh, that's going on starting uh, Friday, which would be the day before this episode comes out. 27th. through Yeah, the 27th through the 29th, which is that Sunday. Um, I will be there. And Tanner will not, <laughs> unfortunately. Neither will Jacob. Jacob yeah, <laughs> uh, I, I messed with him today at school and told him that he made me a liar on the podcast because I, I told you guys he'd be there with me, and uh, some things came up, and he's not going to be there anymore. He's going to be preaching over in Radcliffe, Kentucky. So I'm excited for him. He gets to preach, but I also gave him a hard time that he told me he was going to come to Grissom with me and then dipped on me. So <laughs> if you talk to Jacob or see him, give him a hard time about that. That's really all for our marker calendar that we wanted to talk about other than, I um, almost forgot, the Louisville Bible College semester coming up in January. If you want to take some classes, Bible classes to deepen your knowledge, deepen your faith, uh, Tanner and I would both highly recommend Louisville Bible College. And if you have any questions about what kind of classes they offer or what that can look like doing school remotely uh, online, reach out to us. We'd love to talk to you about that. Uh, we've had a, a couple people, or at least one person, reach out and talk to us and maybe think about taking some classes. So you wouldn't be the only one, is what I'm saying. So, And the Origins module coming up December 1st and 2nd. Uh, our friend and teacher, Brian Schultz, will be teaching that. Uh, and it'll be a, a great study on creation. And uh, so I'm excited for that. Looking well. forward to that and looking forward to being back in the classroom with you for the first time in a couple of years. Yeah, I'm excited for it too. Let's hop in to Luke chapter 9. As always, be in the Word with us. Read Luke chapter 9. And as we continue, if you remember, you know, it's been a while, two weeks ago. If you remember that the last chapter we were in, Jesus begins teaching in parables we covered a few of those. He showed God's power over Satan and over the demons, and he showed his resurrection power for the second time in that chapter. And all of this, all of that is testifying that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And we're going to see in this chapter how true that is even more. My, So we're hopping into chapter 9. There are 62 verses. We love these long chapters from Luke. Uh, my chapter title for this one is Preparing the Twelve, because every everything that's going on, repeatedly we see this is this is something that it, where where the twelve disciples, the the twelve I'm going to say special disciples that will later become apostles, except for Judas, are learning some very important things from Jesus in, in each of these sections. So that's the chapter title. Jesus is teaching, guiding, guiding, and blessing them throughout the chapter. So let's hop into our key thoughts. Uh, real early on, I as I was reading this chapter, I was kind of going into the chapter with some of the thoughts about the questions that we answered last week in the Q&A. And as I read the very first verse, I thought, well, that's an interesting connection because what we see here is 
Jesus giving power and authority to the disciples, the 12, over demons and to heal diseases. And so there were a couple emphases that I wanted to kind of reiterate from last week and, and add to it is it was not random who received this power and these gifts. It was specifically Jesus gave it. Jesus gave these powers, and he gave it to the twelve. And uh, we just see that very specifically in the first verse of chapter 9. And just to point it out real quick, I don't know if you plan to, to cover this at all or not, but just because Jesus does something or gives something to the apostles doesn't mean that it's something that we can immediately apply to all Christians, even though sometimes, unfortunately, people will teach and preach that and if you want to dive a little deeper into this idea of, okay, well, the the 12 had power to cast out demons and heal diseases, but you're saying maybe Christians can't today. We discussed this in a lot more detail in the previous episode, the Q&A one. So if you wanted to, to dive a little deeper into that and, and hear some, some thoughts on that, you, I would encourage you to check that episode out. Absolutely. Moving down, as we go through the chapter... Picking up in verses 2 through 6, I just wanted to point out how Jesus begins to teach his disciples. uh, Not only, he's moved not only from teaching them, but he's actually bringing them in to join him in his ministry. So his ministry is picking up very rapidly, and the disciples are joining the mission. And as the disciples join the mission, notice that the mission doesn't change. In verse in verse 2, it says he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to perform healing. So the mission is the same, proclaiming the kingdom of God, to preach the kingdom of God, that it has come, and it has come in the person of Jesus Christ. Um, and the gospel message is no different today. The kingdom of God is here, and it came in the person of Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ is... Uh, the, the Savior and Lord of all. That's right. And I also just wanted to say and point out that the reason um, Jesus gave them the power to, to perform healing and such things as they were going out <coughs> to proclaim the kingdom and to preach was to validate their message. Because, you know, you're you're living in Israel and these guys just come start preaching to you. You're like, well, it's, it's just a, a regular old human being. Who cares what these guys have to say? But if they're preaching, claiming they're from God, and then they're performing miracles that regular people can't do, that kind of proves to you, hey, these guys might actually be legit here. Yeah, I was doing some reading and study on the Pharisees, and when they get into asking for more signs, uh, something interesting is, for whatever reason, the Pharisees were wanting more signs to confirm that the signs were from God. (laughs) And it's like, that's not the purpose of miracles, the purpose of the miracles, as you said, is to validate or confirm the testimony, to point to the testimony, not to... The miracles weren't supposed to be testimony themselves. You think they just wanted to uh, be entertained and see a show? That might have been part of it. Most of the time, I think they were just trying to trap Jesus, but Jesus is too uh, smart, or uh, he's God, so he wins. <laughs> <laughs> That's a pretty simple way to put it. I like it. Now we get into one of the most special miracles and probably one that you all have heard many times, the feeding of the 5,000. And before we really get into where Jesus is performing the miracle, there's a few things that we should know about the feeding of the 5,000. And we kind of learn some of this from verses 12 through 15. So if you're looking at it, that's where you should read before we, you know, talk about some of this. But families, in this culture, families were recognized most often by the eldest man. Um, so even if you your elder is 95, which that was probably a little older than the average age then, of death, so we'll say 75, and then they have a son that's 45, and they have a son that's 
15 will go by 30s. The man, the oldest man, the 75-year-old, would be recognized as the man and would be recognized. They, When talking about that family, they would refer to that oldest man, and that would signify his whole family. The other thing is, not only is that cultural, but the other thing is that men were not considered a man until the age of 30. So when it says... In verse 14, for there were about 5,000 men. What is what is clear to many scholars and, and what we want you all to understand is that the crowd before Jesus was massive. And 5,000 alone is a lot, but for them to say, they didn't just say 5,000, period. They said 5,000 men. So likely it was much greater than 5,000 men, at least double. Probably a lot more than that. Probably, <laughs> probably a significant amount Definitely more than Definitely a lot more than you could feed with five loaves and two fish. Yeah. I'm, I mean, no matter how many are there over a, you know, a reasonable amount to fe- feed with that amount of food, it's a significant miracle. But we just want you all to understand that it was likely even more significant than even 5,000. Yeah. Um, and, you know, they just, we, we just talked about how Jesus' ministry is is, com- is coming along rapidly. It's, it's spreading quickly. The disciples have just gotten back from doing this preaching that he set them out to do, and it has drawn the crowds. For sure. So we, we see a pretty significant amount of time pass between kind of the beginning of this chapter and then when we get to the feeding of the 5,000. Because we see, we see in verse 2 and 3 where Jesus sends out the apostle or the, the 12 to go proclaim the kingdom of God and to perform healing. And then a few verses down before we get to the feeding of the 5,000 in verse 10, it says, when the apostles returned, they gave an account to him of all that they had done. Mm-hmm. So... I, I can't tell you how long of a time period passed between when they the 12 were sent out and when they came back, but it would have had to have been long enough for them to go to a bunch of different cities and places to go preach about the kingdom and perform these miracles. So it was a significant amount of time, I would say. Like I said, maybe someone that's a little more scholarly or studied would be able to give you a, a more concrete time estimate. But the point the point is is... I wonder if a lot of the people that were here at the feeding of the 5,000, if they were some of the people who heard about the kingdom and heard about Jesus from the 12 being sent out to go to preach and to perform these miracles. Yeah, and it would have spread even beyond that because as you go through the Gospels, you see over and over again that it had even extended all the way to Jerusalem, which they're pretty far north of Jerusalem. And we know that because it would say, it often it says that Pharisees and scribes and had traveled from Jerusalem to, you know, Galilee or wherever he was. Right. Uh, so getting into the actual miracle of feeding the 5,000 verses 16 and 17, I just want to read those verses. It says, Then he took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he blessed them and broke them, and kept giving them to the disciples to set before the people. And they all ate and were satisfied, and the broken pieces which they had left over were picked up, twelve baskets full. Feeding the 5,000 is well known. It's a well-known story. And Jesus actually does it twice. A lot of people don't realize that. They kind of only ever hear of feeding the 5,000, but once Jesus feeds 5,000 men and another time he feeds 4,000 men, as as the scriptures tell us. And we awe and we wonder at this grand miracle when people bring it up, but I think we kind of miss the eternal depth of this miracle. And we miss really... The, the we miss some of what we should be awing at. There's this Latin phrase, I 
that I learned in Bible college, and it's ex nihilo. And what that means is it means created out of nothing. And that is a word, that, that ex nihilo is what is used to describe how God created out of nothing. That's how creation was. When he created the heavens and the earth, it was out of nothing. Only God can create out of nothing. And as Jesus sits here with some bread and some fish, and he passes it out, then he creates more out of nothing. As Jesus sits here, he creates out of nothing more bread and more fish for the many. And so this miracle is a glaring proclamation of the of Emmanuel, God with us. And I, I think we we miss that maybe. We we are we are in awe and wonder that he took this little bit and made it feed so many, but do we realize how impactful this is that he is proving not only to have this power, but he is proving to be God the creator in this miracle. Jesus Christ our Lord is God the creator. And, you know, if we, if you look at John 1, 1, 1 through 4, John writes of that very thing. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Yeah, I haven't thought about that before with this specific miracle showing that Jesus was the creator and had the power to create out of nothing. Man, I don't know about you, but I really love seafood. <laughs> and I can't help but wonder if this these fish that he created, man, if they tasted like some fresh grouper... <laughs> Man, I bet that was that was some good fish. Well, for God yeah, to I'm, create I'm it, distracted here. I, I apologize. <laughs> it says they were satisfied, and for God to create it, I I imagine it was it was satisfying for sure. I think there's something a little deeper too, though, to point out with that there. And they all ate and were satisfied. Is there in verse 17? When God does a miracle, He doesn't do it halfway. It's you know when when someone is healed, so when someone is blind is healed. They don't, like, get 30% of their eye vision back, and they can see at least a little bit now. And when a, a lame person is healed, they, they, they're crippled and couldn't walk, they don't, like, come back with a stumble. <laughs> they are fully healed. Jesus started with two fish and five loaves of bread, and with upwards of probably 10, 15, maybe even 20,000 people there, took that small amount of food, and they all ate and were satisfied. I don't know if that's talking about they were satisfied with the taste as much as it's talking about they were satisfied as in they were all full when they were done eating. It's not that each person got one tiny little nibble and they stretched out five loaves and two fish. Their need, of people. Their need was met. And, and, and the reason I bring that up is because I honestly can't remember which preacher or I heard tell this story. I heard it this week. I mentioned earlier in the podcast that I had a lot more time on my hands this week being off work. I listened to a lot of sermons and stuff this week, but someone used this to bring up like people that believe in modern day miracles, people that can do healing. I, I heard someone tell a story about this guy that uh, he was a, a, a semi-professional baseball player, like a pitcher, and his shoulder or his arm got hurt, and... So he he was he went to some Pentecostal church trying to get healing, and he couldn't get healed. But this other guy that uh, couldn't hear at all, he was totally deaf. They tried to do this healing on him, this miraculous healing, and they got done laying their hands on him or doing whatever they did, and then they were like, well, "Can you hear anything?" And the guy was like, "Well, maybe a little bit now. I I might be able to actually hear like every every other word or something." That's not how God does a miracle. If someone is deaf and God miraculously heals them, you're not just going to be able to hear a little bit if someone yells loud enough at you. 
God does a miracle. He does it to to its fullest extent and and does it and you are like better than new when he is done. Yeah. So Jesus Christ our Lord is God the creator and he meets the complete needs of people. And the need that he met the most and that he again did not do only partially is dying on the cross to save us from our sins. Mm. Um, and and that Jesus, that God, the creator out of nothing, that is who we are speaking about and who we are striving to bear fruit for as Christians. Amen. Moving from there, this was so impactful, not only on the people that, were fed, but also on the disciples. And it, we see following that in verses 18 through 20, something, we we call it the... Um, the Great Confession. The Great Confession. Uh, we use it as the statement of faith uh, most often. And we see how this really impacted them because of what Peter says in verse 20. Uh It says, and he said to them, talking about Jesus, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered and said, the Christ of God. In John, it says, it says, um, the Holy One of God. In Mark, it says, uh, the Christ of God. In Matthew, it says, the one that we know most commonly, the Son of the, the, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Um, Those are all parallel uh, passages, moments to each other, um, but Peter really is blessed here with this understanding of who Jesus is. Um, I I want to just point out Luke chapter twelve verse eight, verse eight, which says, "And I say to you, everyone who confesses me before men, the Son of Man will confess him also before the angels of God." Um, that's one of those verses I, I quoted a couple weeks back when we were talking about salvation. Confessing Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, that is a essential part of Christianity and something that we need to, to be willing to do even in the face of death. And, you know, it's interesting... Some some people in Jesus' time were looking for any option other than to admit that he is the Christ. But the reality is, is he was, and and Peter proclaims that right here. And that question that Jesus asked to the twelve, but who do you say that I am? Man, that's really the most important question any of us will ever answer, because that has e- eternal consequences. That has direct... Re- a direct result on our eternity. And that's not the only thing that does, but who do you say that I am? Because a lot of different religions will recognize Jesus, and, you know, I'm, I'm, I believe the Muslims would say he's a prophet, but not God. And I, don't, I can't tell you off the top of my head, but I'm sure there are other religions that say Jesus is a prophet. I know a lot of them say he was a great moral teacher. A lot of even, like, atheists will say, we'll say, yeah, Jesus lived. He just wasn't God. He was a great moral teacher. He was a, a, a rabbi. Good guy, but not God. How we answer that question is, is really important, so it's something we better study and think about. And, you know, thinking about that, as you get into verses 21 through 27, Jesus says not to tell everyone. He tells the disciples not to. So with something that's so eternally important, why would Jesus ask them not to? Well, a major reason is the majority of people, if not all Jewish people, still didn't understand what kind of Messiah Jesus was supposed to be. So if the disciples start going out and telling everybody and, and, and you know, through this power that he's given them, proving that Jesus is the Christ— well, they would be, there would be confusion about what Jesus was supposed to be doing. Jesus is fulfilling his mission that God has given, that, that the Father has given him. Um, 
that mission does not line up with what people thought the Christ was supposed to be. Um, so many, including the disciples, wouldn't understand, and they wouldn't understand what Jesus's mission was until really after the death, burial, and resurrection, and that's when you really see it them come to understand it. In verse twenty-two, we see one of Jesus's earliest prophecies about his death. He said, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. Jesus would would come to fulfill this prophecy exactly. Um, he fulfills his own prophecy. He, In order to fulfill it, he had to be rejected by the Jewish leaders. He was. In order to fulfill it, he had to be killed. He was. In order to fulfill it, he had to be raised up on the third day, and he was. Not only specifically rise from the dead, which not too many people do, by the way, <laughs> but also exactly three days after his death. So it's it's a pretty specific prophecy there. Yeah. As we move further, we get into a a, a passage that Many Christians have heard, Jesus said, If anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. And we recently went and saw the blind together. Right. Um, and it was it, it was an excellent movie. Uh, I'm very glad that the Robertson family, specifically Phil and Kay, decided to have that made. Uh, I think it... it it had an impact on me for sure, but one of the things that he said, the the actor that was representing Phil in the movie, one of the things that was said in that, and some have probably said this before, but he said, you have to come to the end of yourself to find the beginning of God. You have to come to the end of yourself to find the beginning of God. And Jesus said that this way in verse 23. He must deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. So, a great quote uh, from the blind, but Jesus really emphasizes that in verse 23. And I I even like what he says in the next couple of verses. I think it really applies to this idea of denying yourself daily and taking up your cross I want to read the next couple of verses, starting in 24. <clears throat> Jesus says, For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, he is the one who will save it. For what is a man profited if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. So, Jesus is teaching and discussing this idea here of what does it mean to, to really follow him. And as it means we're going to have to deny ourselves. And that is not a message that the world likes to hear today. Just, that's not, a, that's not something that anyone naturally wants to do. We live in a society that's all about me, 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 and uh, like the like the popular saying all throughout the book of Judges, people like to do what is right in their own eyes, and and I, I I've been guilty of that at times. I'm sure many of you listening have. But if we really are going to follow Jesus, we've got to deny ourselves. And not only that, he tells us if we wish to save our life. And, li- and live for ourselves, we're actually just going to end up losing it. But if we set out to lose our life, lo- lose ownership of our life for his sake, he's the one who save it. And, th- and that really brings to my mind another scripture I want to read to you, one that has stuck out in my mind a lot this week. is 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Uh, I'm going to read verses 19 and 20, where Paul writes, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you have been bought with a price. 
therefore glorify God in your part in your body. And the part of that that really sticks out to me is you are not your own. You are not your own because you've been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. A lot of people today, and I even have this thought to myself, in fact, I think I may have even said this earlier in this episode, in in our intro, is I was talking about how I had some more free time this week. And I I think I said something along the lines of, you know, I, I just have some time to myself and to to do whatever I wanted. And if we're really going to accept what the Bible teaches here about this idea of you are not your own. Your, own, your your body, your life is not your own because you've been bought with a price. That living for that that takes the idea of living for ourselves and the the thought of, well, I have some me time, some some personal time for me because I own it. That that tosses that idea completely out the window if you really think about it. Because we're not our own. And if we're living our life for ourselves, we're not following Jesus the way he teaches us here to follow him by denying ourselves. So maybe I need to think about that some more when I'm off, have a little time off work. It's not I have time for myself because really I, I shouldn't be living my life for myself. Yeah. It's a hard it's a hard thing to uh swallow sometimes and the reality is that most of the time unbelief and sin is not caused because people don't have the truth, but it's because of selfishness and the fact that they don't want to believe it. Um, and we're going to see Jesus actually address this a little more later on at the end of the chapter about being fully committed and, and denying oneself. The next thing in the chapter is Jesus' transfiguration. This is an is, is this is a extraordinary thing that Peter, James, and John got to experience. Um, the parallel passages that speak on this refer to Jesus as being transfigured, which is why you see that titling in in your Bible most likely, and all of them describe Jesus as a shining light. Light shined so brightly that he probably changed. What is likely is that he probably changed back to back into a measure of his heavenly glory. And for Peter, James, and John to witness that, no wonder it describes them as being afraid. Not only are they afraid of of that, but they're afraid as as the cloud begins to consume them in the mountain um, and they hear the words of God um, coming out of the mountain. But Luke even says in verse, um, let's see, verse 29, the appearance of his face became different. So his face even appeared different to them. He, he 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 didn't look like they normally saw him look. Um so this is this is a big deal. Um Peter, James and John were extremely blessed by this. They they are immensely fearful. And it's interesting Peter says master it is good for us to be here let us take three tabernacles make three tabernacles, one one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah, not realizing what he was saying is what the scriptures say. And then God comes along and corrects him by, by establishing that Jesus is greater than all of them. Jesus is greater than all the prophets. He is God's chosen, anointed. His gospel message is final and eternal, and greater than all the messages of the prophets. Um, and that's what they hear the voice of God say in verse 35. This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. Listen to him. Because he's the one. He's the one they've been waiting for. Um, he's the one that all of us are waiting for. If And he's there. The opportunity is always available to choose whether or not 
you believe that he's the Christ. Going on from there, uh, we actually come out of the transfiguration and, you know, they come down off the mountain and we enter into a parallel passage to the Mark passage that we discussed last week in our Q&A. So if you want um, a little more in-depth conversation about that, uh, it might be good to go back and listen to that. I know we already mentioned it, but... I didn't even realize we covered two things in the Q&A that were going to be in the chapter this week. That's kind of funny. But there's a little bit different of an emphasis in Luke than in Mark. Um, actually, the the major part of what we discussed last week about uh, the Father saying, I believe, but help my unbelief, that isn't even uh, recorded in the, this gospel. And right. that's okay. Uh, that happens in the gospels from time to time. That doesn't mean they contradict. No, absolutely not. But there there is a different emphasis here. They are amazed uh, at the greatness of God, but do they really hear the greatness? And what I mean by hear the greatness is Jesus says, you unbelieving and perverted generation, how long shall I be with you and put up with you? Bring your son here. And then he says, let these words sink into your ears for the son of man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. Jesus confirms his death and they don't understand. In verse 34, 45, but they did not understand this statement. Um, so Jesus is frustrated with the lack of belief. Um, the Pharisees and the scribes just, I mean, what they had taught and what they thought is that the Jews, they taught and thought and, and, and lived out this idea that the traditions were so important, even more important than the actual word of God. Um, They focused on that, and they lacked a heart of true faith. And what that did is it left them unable to help this father and son who wanted the demon cast out, and it did that because they weren't trusting God to do it. Um, And... It also left them unable to understand what Jesus was getting across. And it was, I am the Christ, and I'm not here to be your military leader that takes over the world. I'm here to save you from your sins. Then we get into this little tobacco, if you <laughs> want to call it that, between the disciples and they're arguing who's greater. And the truth is, no one is great but God. And only he sheds greatness on us. And it is through Jesus that one is great. And you you kind of think, but not I, Jesus. And it reminds me of the scripture in 1 Corinthians that Paul writes... 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 10. You all have probably heard it. Paul wrote, by the grace of God, by, But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me did not prove vain, but I labored even more than all of them, yet not I, but the grace of God with me. So all of it is God, not you. Um, and, and, you know, that kind of goes back to the denying yourself, complete denial of who you are and recognizing that when you become a Christian, what you do, what God is, what Christ is doing through you. There has been a change in who is the Lord of your life. Prior to becoming a Christian, you're the Lord of your own life. You make your own decisions. You do what you want to do. You, your time is yours. Your choices of morality are yours a Christian, something you got to do is deny yourself, and you've got a new Lord that you follow. Following this, this little, you know, discrepancy amongst the disciples, we have this interesting little segment where John and James feel that they are, uh, <laughs> feel that they are God for a moment almost. Man, could you imagine... Walking with Jesus, it says they're on the way to Jerusalem. 
and they see that one of the, the Samaritan villages don't accept Jesus. And I, I want you to just imagine you're walking with Jesus on the way to Jerusalem, and you look over at him. <laughs> Jesus, they rejected you. How about we cast down fire from heaven and burn them? <laughs> Could you imagine that? Looking at Jesus and saying that? Well, I can't, but I can't say that I haven't been guilty of a version of that. And <laughs> what I mean by that is I have definitely cast some judgment on people when I shouldn't have. And, you know, there's a, there's a lot of conversation that you can get into about about that verse and, you know, what the what they were able to do. But, I mean, there's, there's casting judgment and then there's commanding fire to come down from heaven and consume the whole village. That's like another level. Yeah, it is. The lesson to learn here, though, is really it's not our place to cast judgment. That's right. And <laughs> I don't know what got into James and John, <laughs> but... As we see from Jesus's response, maybe they were uh, maybe they were inspired a little bit from their time with Elijah up on the mountain. I think he <laughs> he casted down fire maybe once. Yeah, but not on people. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but Jesus's response is exactly that lesson. He says, "You do not know what kind of spirit you are of. The Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them." Uh, it was not their place to cast judgment, and it was not the time for even Jesus to cast judgment. His mission right now was to save. Judgment is going to come later when he comes back, and the, those that have not accepted his gift of salvation, that's when judgment will come. Well, Jesus says the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives but to save them. I wonder if anyone from that Samaritan village ended up coming to faith, and they wouldn't have had... Uh, James and John burned them all up. It's very possible. The end of the chapter, we come to a little more of this conversation of denying oneself, taking up your cross daily. Um, there's a there's two options. You live a life bearing fruit and total commitment, or you leave, even if you've got one foot out the door, the reality is is you're rejecting Jesus. And there are three examples of rejection here. The Bible doesn't uh, explicitly say that each one of these three people rejected, but it, it seems pretty obvious that that's the case. Um, the first gentleman rejects him for the comforts of life. It's Jesus' response to him when when the guy comes and says, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus says, the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus is saying, if you follow me, there's a, there's a worldly cost. And there's a level of comfort you're going to have to be willing to give up. And that, that doesn't necessarily mean that Christians ought to be homeless. Um, but living the Christian life is not always the most um, peaceful and comforting thing that we do. Um, and the, question, the question I would have for myself and for you all is, what do you put first in your life? Do you put Jesus first and your commitment to him first, or do you put some of the things in this world before him. The comforts. Because it, it may be a lot easier and a lot more comfortable to lay in bed a, an, an extra hour on Sunday morning and not show up for Sunday school. Or maybe not even show up for the service. So are you going to choose the comfort of your bed or meeting together with the Lord's people on the Lord's Day? Or it may be uncomfortable to have a conversation with your friend who is lost and is not yet a Christian. It Probably be more comfortable and easygoing to not address that and just talk about your normal subjects. But are you going to be willing to step out of your comfort zone and and have those hard conversations with people? Yeah. I think there's a lot of different ways we can apply this to our Christian lives today. Then you get to the second man. This time, instead of the man coming to Jesus and saying, 
I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus actually says to the person, follow me. And this time we see rejection again. This time it's rejection, rejecting Jesus for the mundane affairs of the spiritually dead. Um, you know, Jesus' response to this is, Allow the dead to bury the dead, but as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. And the reality is, Jesus is God. And he's looking at this man and says, follow me. And it is simple rejection, denial of his, his commitments lie elsewhere. The most important, number one, the most important person ever to exist is standing right in front of him, the Christ, the Son of God, the Creator, which we just discussed earlier, and he's saying, follow me, and your priority is elsewhere. And, you know, that that sometimes is really hard for people to, to figure out. It's really hard for people to understand why Jesus would would expect that of us, but the reality is is that commitment to Christ is greater than than even blood. Then the third man and so the question I have after that is the the first question was who do you put first? The next question is, what is most important to you? Mm. Not only who do you put first, but what is most important? If you're putting Jesus first, then what should be most important to you is what he wants of you. He's given us all a mission, he, and he expects faithfulness. Then the, the third man comes before him and he says, I will follow you, Lord, but first per- permit me to say goodbye to those at home. <clears throat> and I just heard Kerry Allen speak on this, and he mentioned that it's almost as if this guy had heard the first two guys talk and ask, and he approaches the situation a little more subtly in, in him asking. Um, but still, there is this rejection I will follow you, but you see, he this man had every intention of following Jesus. He wanted to follow Jesus. He even told Jesus, I will follow you, but let me go do this first. Jesus, following what Jesus had commanded him to do, was not of not in first place in his life. He wanted to follow God. He, he knew what he needed to do, but he just wanted to do it later. How many of us do that today? We know what we need to do. We know what God has said to us through his word. We want to do it, but we got something else to take care of first. And then we find something else to take care of, and then something else. And then we never end up doing what we know we ought to be doing. Yeah. So here is a rejection because of a dual allegiance. This man's heart is split. And... As I said before, faith over blood. If blood refuses and rejects Christ, that's a, a tragedy, but faith over blood, full allegiance is required in the kingdom of God. So, do you love Jesus first? Do you love Jesus most and what he expects of us? And do you love Jesus best even even over blood? The reality is, the lesson is from this is that Jesus doesn't just want to be number one. He deserves and demands to be. And are you going to choose to deny yourself and lay down your cross daily and follow him by bearing fruit in his kingdom? Or are you going to have a dual allegiance 
to the comforts of life or to the mundane affairs of the spiritually dead or to blood. Um, Jesus is God. What are you going to do about it? Who do you say that he is? Who do you say he is? Exactly. A lot to think about this week. Yeah. I mean, this is what really matters. You know, a lot of times we we kind of we get caught up in this thing of intention. We wait and we bank on our intention to do something good later on. But Jesus doesn't command to have intention. He commands now. And there's an urgency about that. Yeah, I, pr- I probably relate to the last man the most in this last little teaching here of Jesus, the guy that said, um, I will follow you, Lord, but first permit me to say goodbye to those at home. Because he had the intention, but he, he it's not even... I w- I would venture to say it's not even a bad thing to want to say goodbye to your folks back at home. That's not a, I wouldn't say it's a bad thing, but anything that we put before following what we know God has told us to do and what we ought to do, that becomes a bad thing. Where the heart lies is, is the key to it all. Is your heart devoted to your selfish desires or is your heart devoted to Jesus? You got anything else before we wrap up? I think that's all for the 62 verses in Luke chapter 9. <laughs> we want to thank you all so much for listening. Uh, the, the support is extremely encouraging to us. Ask questions, comment, like, follow, subscribe, whatever you are able to do on the platform that you're listening to us. Totally commit to Jesus. Go bear fruit and so prove to be one of his disciples.